Thank you so much, Dan, worship team, Raul. If you would turn again to 1 Corinthians 13, we want to continue thinking about the kind of love that God calls us to show for the glory of his name. 1 Corinthians 13 is a fascinating passage. It starts off by telling us how the kind of love God is talking about here is essential. That if you don't love in this way, then nothing you do truly counts in the eyes of God. Then it goes on to talk about the fact that you could say uh, this love that he's talking about is extraterrestrial. It's not only essential, it's something that's otherworldly, that it doesn't come naturally. And that's what's so challenging about the idea of patience, because We think, well, I know people that aren't even believers that seem to be very patient. Or I know people that aren't even believers that seem to be very kind. And that's true if you define patience and kindness in a certain way. But if you understand exactly what Paul is talking about here with regard to patience and kindness, only believers have the grace to love like God loves. And so there is a difference. And so... That's why it's so helpful and so important to think about what God is really calling us to in this love that we find here. The last thing is you see in this passage where it's everlasting. It's not only essential, extraterrestrial, but it's also everlasting. Why? Because God is love and God is everlasting. And those who trust in Christ will live forever. And as Jonathan Edwards would say, they will live in a heaven filled with perfect love. So let me read for the, for us these verses again, just to remind us of what Paul says here. And then we're going to focus, as Dan mentioned in his prayer, on the kind love that God calls us to. So it says in verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, Reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. I'd like to remind us again of... This theme that we want to continue to keep in mind this year because I believe it's foundational to how God wants us to respond 
to all that's going on in our country as well as what's going on in our lives. And sometimes simple sentences can be a good reminder. And this simple sentence says a lot when it says God wants us to trust and love. There's or there was a man named Jean-Paul Sartre, depending on how you pronounce his name. He was a French philosopher. He did not believe in God. He did not believe there was a creator. He believed that meaning in life came from what you did, so that there was no uh, pre-existing meaning to life, or there was nothing prior to us that would give our life meaning. And so he would say, we're the opposite of a, an, a letter opener. A letter opener is designed to open letters. But he would say human beings are the opposite of that. We have no design. There's nothing prior. And so we only make our life meaningful by our own experiences and our own actions. Well, he got to the end of his life, and it was very, very sad. He was overwhelmed with feelings of despair, and he would say, I know I shall die in hope. But then he would follow it up with a profound sadness and add, but hope needs a foundation. And so he was trying to will himself a kind of hope. But he realized that if there was no creator, there was nothing prior to us as human beings, there was no meaning to life. There was no foundation for hope. And the reality is, there's no foundation for love either. All three of those things go together. Faith, hope, and love, which we saw at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. If there's no foundation for hope, Without God, there's no foundation for love without God. And therefore, we have to have God. We have to have meaning in life that goes beyond us for us to even be able to love. And so, love is the goal. That's what God wants us to do in every situation, in every relationship. He wants us to love according to how he defines love. But the only way I can do that is if I believe in God, I trust in God, that um, I understand that grace comes through faith. And therefore, it's interesting, there's a verse in 1 John 3.23 that says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So he says, this is his commandment, his one commandment, and it's twofold. That we believe in Jesus, we believe in his name, and we love one another, which means you cannot do one without the other. If you believe in Jesus, the fruit of that will be love. The only way you can love is if you believe in Jesus. Trust and love go together. And that's why I just want to continue to remind us that in every situation I have to ask the question, how do I need to trust and love This person and in this situation, how does trust and love work for me in these circumstances and in this relationship? And if I'm finding it hard to love someone or love in a certain situation, then I need to go back to my relationship with God. I need to go back to my relationship to his word. And am I trusting his word? Am I trusting his truth? Am I trusting his promises to me? Because apart from God and apart from trust in God, I'll be like that French philosopher, there will be no foundation for my hope or for my love. And so that is always in the background as we talk about loving. It's always something that has to flow out of our faith 
in God's promises to us in Jesus. The second thing that I want to highlight as we make this transition from talking about uh, patience to talking about kindness is that love, the kind of love that God calls us to, looks like patience and kindness. There was another uh, philosopher, a German philosopher named Sliermacher, and uh, he was a liberal theologian, and he rejected the basic tenets of Christianity. And one day when he was old, he was sitting on a park bench, and a police officer came over, thought he was just a vagrant, shook him a little bit and said, who are you? And he looked up and said, I wish I knew. The interesting thing about that is he was the son of a pastor, and he wrote his father at one point and said, I just can't believe that Jesus was the true eternal God. I just could, can't believe that his death was a vicarious sacrifice for us. I can't believe that. And he told his pastor father that. And the fruit of that was he didn't even know who he was. He rejected God and he rejected Christ and he didn't even know who he was. Well, the interesting thing about that is the Bible says we love because he first loved us. The reality is that we need to understand what love really looks like and we need to understand that we are actually defined by the kind of love we show. So we need to know what love truly looks like. We need to understand that we are really identified by the love we show. Why do I say that? Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he's talking about the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. So who am I? Well, that's connected to how I love. And that's connected to knowing the love of God for me in Christ. We love because he first loved us. And so when we talk about love, it is very, very important to understand that because it's meant to be a defining thing for all of us as Christians. It, it, it's to identify us as being truly children of God if we love this way. And Paul is highlighting the fact that we could argue that the kind of love that God calls us to is a love that is patient and is kind. That is a defining love for us. Now, he puts it at the head of the list. If you look at verses 4 through 8, he says, Love is patient, love is kind. And if you read through the Word of God, it's amazing how often those two concepts are found in regard to God. That you could argue that patience and kindness are at the head of the list with regard to how God loves us. And hopefully you'll see that in a minute. And it's at the head of the list of how Paul says we define the love of God uh, as believers in us and through us as well. He starts off by saying love is patient, love is kind, and then he says eight different times, this is what love is not. He says this is what love is, this is what love is, then eight different times this is what love is not, which I understand to be his way of helping us to qualify and what to watch out for with regard to what it means to be patient and kind, that these things will be a threat to your patience and they'll be a threat to your kindness. So it's not jealous. It's not proud. You can't be patient and kind to sinners if you're jealous and proud and all the other things that he talks about. And then he goes back toward the end in verse 6. He says, but 
Love rejoices with the truth. So that's another positive statement, which highlights the fact that the patience and kindness that God is calling us to is not something that can be exercised outside the boundaries of what God says is right and wrong. There, there are boundaries to that. You cannot exercise patience and kindness and do the wrong thing. God says that's, that doesn't work that way. His love does not do what's wrong in the name of patience or in the name of kindness. And so that's important. God, God says there's right and wrong. There's, he's a holy God and his love is a holy love. And then the last thing is Paul uh, concludes it all by talking about how uh, love is patient and kind no matter what. When he says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And so God wants us to trust in love and that love that he wants from us by his grace through faith is a patient and kind love that is understood in the light of what is right and wrong and that is applied in every relationship and in every circumstance. The third thing is patience, the first part of that uh, dual pair there, is necessary for kindness to take place. That's one of the things that really stood out to me as I thought about what Paul was saying here, is that you can't have kindness without patience. The question is, why is that? Well, think about the story of Abraham and the old man that I told when talking about patience. The old man shows up. Abraham invites him into the tent, provides a meal for him. But the old man doesn't say a prayer or anything before he starts eating. And Abraham asks him why. And he says, well, um, Abraham basically says, you know, don't you worship God? He says, I only worship fire. I don't worship any other God. And Abraham takes him by the shoulder, shoulders, jerks him up and throws him out of the tent. And God comes to Abraham and says, you know, where's that old man that stopped by your place? And he said, I forced him out because he did not worship you. And you recall God's response according to this traditional Hebrew story is, God says, I have suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? Why is patience important? Because Abraham could not show him kindness without patience. To be impatient with him was to kick him out, was to cancel him, was to end the relationship, was to harden his heart, shut down and say, I don't don't want anything more to do with you. So, therefore, you don't have the opportunity to be kind. You, You can't serve him food. You can't give him a place to sleep because as a result of your impatience or my impatience, we prevent kindness from being shown. And... I think that's why Hudson Taylor and and encouraging missionaries would say there are three important things for a missionary. Patience, patience, and patience. Because if you shut down, harden your heart, and want to go home, you can't love the people that you've been called to reach. And so patience is crucial. And it's the platform for the kindness that God calls us to. Um... In Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses in answer to Moses' prayer. 
And it says in verse 6, And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Slow to anger is patient. Abounding in loving kindness and truth is kindness. Loving kindness, that word basically means goodness or kindness. It could be simply translated kindness. Slow to anger could be translated patient. God reveals himself as patient and as kind. And he says, that's my goodness, that's my glory. It's my glory to be patient and to be kind. And then in Galatians 5, 22, when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the work of God in us to manifest God-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and it goes on. So that it's amazing how often in Scripture patience and kindness are paired together one way or the other. Why? Because you need both of them in order to love as God calls us to love, to truly be kind. And being kind, we're defining as graciously desiring and doing good to others. Graciously, which means they don't deserve it. Desiring, meaning it comes from your heart. You're just not, you know, uh, grinning and bearing it and doing what you have to do without any heart behind it. There's a heart behind it and there's action that follows, doing good to others. And that in our context, in a fallen world, means doing good to sinners, doing good to those who actually sin against us. If you would, go ahead and turn to Titus 3. We'll look at Titus 3 together. Um, Last night at the dinner table, I asked my family, what is the difference between loving a beautiful sunset and loving a rabid dog? What is the difference between loving a beautiful sunset and loving a rabid dog? Jonathan Edwards, in his discussion of uh, love in 1 Corinthians 13, talks about the fact that we have to distinguish between complacent love and benevolent love. Complacent love doesn't refer to the idea of a smug satisfaction with something that's wrong or bad. That's what we often think about complacency. We think of it in terms of being okay with something we shouldn't be okay with. That's not the kind of complacency he's talking about. When he says there's a love of complacency, what he means is There's a satisfaction or a delight in something that's good and right. It's a satisfaction in something that uh, brings satisfaction, that is delightful. There's also a love of benevolence. And the love that God calls us to is not a love of complacency. It's not that I have to look around and say, I'm going to love all the people that I really enjoy and that benefit me. That's the idea, is complacency is the love of those who bring me joy, that bring me benefit, that I delight in because they're so good or they do things right or whatever it may be. In the Godhead, it's the love of complacency. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other because they look at each other and say, you're great and you bring me joy. That's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the love of benevolence, which means I'm loving you not because of what you do for me or the joy you bring to me, but because of what I want to do for you and because of what 
because of the joy that I want to bring to you. And so Jonathan Edwards could say it this way. He could say, love of benevolence is that disposition which, which leads us to have a desire for or delight in the good of another. And think about this. He says, this is the main thing about Christian love. That is the main thing in Christian love, yea, the most essential thing in it, and that whereby our love is most of an imitation of the eternal love and grace of God and of the dying love of Christ, which consists in benevolence or goodness or goodwill to men, as was sung by the angels at his birth, Luke 2.14. So that the main thing in Christian love is goodwill, or a spirit to delight in and seek the good of those who are the objects of that love. And so when he looks at love is kind, and the word kind is actually emphasized in the Greek, this love is kind. He looks at that and he says that's the main thing about God's love is kindness. The platform is patience, but the central issue, the main issue in God-like love is Kindness, and the word kindness could be translated kindness or goodness. Um, sometimes it could even be translated along the lines of graciousness, but it's a very practical thing. And that's the picture that we have there. Um, in Titus 3, uh, verse 1, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And so he's talking about doing good. And he's uh, Paul is telling Titus, you need to teach the people, the believers there in Crete, on Crete, to do what is good, basically to be kind. He goes on to, in verse 2, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating, excuse me, hateful, hating one another. Then he says in verse 4, and this is the foundation of doing good. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. And then verse 14, he says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. If you think through what he's saying there, he's highlighting the fact that you need to call the people to do good to the people around them, even those who are disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. To do good to all men. Why? Because the kindness of God has appeared in Jesus. It's the gospel that moves us to be kind people. It's in and through what God has done for us in Jesus, which is God's kindness to sinners, that God says, I want you to be like me. 
I want you to show kindness to sinners. Do them good, even though they don't deserve it. Do them good, even though they deserve just the opposite. Because that's what salvation is all about. Me, through my son Jesus, doing you good, even when you don't deserve it. That's why Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, defined kindness this way. He says, it's the truly Christian spirit that would dispose us freely to do good to others. The word freely is key. It's doing good to others, but it's freely doing them good, meaning there's nothing in them that encourages me to do it or requires me to do it or anything like that. It's something that's free, just like God's grace to us. It's free grace. He didn't look at us and say, you're such a good guy, I'm going to have mercy on you or I'm going to give you grace. There's nothing in us that called forth God's kindness to us. In the same way, we have to also seek to be kind to others, even though there's nothing in them, or there may be very little in them that calls forth that kindness, because we're called to reflect God, who is rich in kindness, rich, rich, rich in kindness. There's um, a story about Alexander the Great, who was going down this road at one point, and there was this poor beggar on the side of the road, and he called out to Alexander the Great and said, please help me, please help me. And Alexander the Great pulled out of his pocket or bag or whatever he had with him uh, several gold coins and threw them to the beggar as he went by. And one of Alexander's uh, servants said, "Uh, O king, why did you give that beggar so much money? You know, His needs could have been simply met by a few copper coins. Why did you give him those gold coins instead? And Alexander supposedly responded, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. That's what it means to be rich in kindness. Not just doing the bare minimum to meet your need, I'm so rich that I can't wait to lavish you with kindness. That's the picture of God that we have in the Bible, that he is rich in kindness. And he longs to lavish us with his kindness. We can see that over and over in the Old Testament in the phrase abundant in loving kindness or abounding in loving kindness. So wherever you read that, think about that. I mentioned Exodus 34, 6 where it says the Lord appears to Moses and he says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, rich in loving kindness. And I could list uh, many, many other scriptures that talk just that same way. Um, someone has said about William Wilberforce, um, a Christian who helped overthrow throw the slave trade in England, that he lacked time for half the good works in his mind. That he was somebody who was always thinking about the good he could do for other people. Well, God is infinitely more that way than Wilberforce ever was or we would ever be. So, word in the Old Testament that someone has said this may be the most important word in the Old Testament with regard to describing God. It's the word hesed. And uh, it can be translated simply goodness or kindness, but it's often translated loving kindness. And it's referenced over 240 times, uh, many, many times. In fact, one of the most uh, central themes of the songs of Israel were the Lord is good 
and his loving kindness is everlasting. They were called upon to sing that over and over and over again. Why? Because people needed to believe that God was good and that his loving kindness was everlasting. Because we doubt that. We seriously doubt it. Michael Card, some of you may remember him. He was a contemporary music guy. I don't know if he's still singing or not. But he wrote a book on this word, this Hebrew word, hesed, which we translate many times loving kindness. And he said this about that word in his study of it. He said, But what set the God of Israel apart then, what made him completely unique to the point that the other gods were no gods at all, is what still sets him apart today. He is the God who delights in being kind, in loving his creation, and in offering forgiveness and salvation to those who have no right to expect anything from him. The great surprise of the Hebrew Bible is not that God is awesome or holy, these characteristics we would expect from God. The great surprise is that he is kind, that he is a God of hesed. This is what fundamentally makes him unlike any other God then or now. And he draws attention to Exodus 34, 6 and 7, just like we've done. He also draws attention to Micah 6, 8, where we're called to be like God and do what pleases God. When it says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, which is hesed, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. If you would turn to um, Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is just a great example of what we're talking about here. It has the word hesed, translated loving kindness, in this passage. And it's in every verse, I believe, in this chapter. And it's the refrain that's mentioned over and over again in all 26 verses where it starts off by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. His goodness or his kindness or his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote the Egyptians and their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness is everlasting. For a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. For he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote great kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and slew mighty kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and Og, king of Bashan, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and gave their land as a heritage, for his loving kindness is everlasting, even a heritage to Israel his servant. 
for his loving kindness is everlasting, who remembered us in our low estate, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and has rescued us from our adversaries, for his loving kindness is everlasting, who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The interesting thing about that is it starts off by talking about God creating everything, and that that is filled with his kindness, his loving kindness. Then he talks especially about what God has done for Israel. And he says that's filled with his loving kindness or his kindness. But at the end, he talks about giving food to all people, all men, all flesh. And that, too, is his loving kindness, his, his kindness to all people. So that when the Bible says God is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds... Psalm 145, that's exactly what it means. He is righteous in all his ways. He always does what's right. He's kind in all his deeds, both to believers and unbelievers. He's kind to all. I think I mentioned uh, this um, statement by Charles Spurgeon, uh, who talked about the fact that we're prone to think hard thoughts of God. We're prone not to think of God as patient and kind. And he starts off by saying, we are far too apt to entertain hard thoughts of God. He says, the horrible atheism of our depraved nature continually quarrels with the Most High. And when we we are under his afflicting hand and things go cross to our will, the evil of our nature becomes sadly evident. So he's talking about the fact that when we go through difficult things or we deal with difficult people, Uh, It's very easy for us to begin to complain against God, to be unhappy, and to accuse him of not running the universe very well and of not being very kind to us. And he goes on to say, let us never forget that our hard speeches have all been false speeches. Whatever our heart has said in accusing God of unseemliness, accusing God of being unkind to us, are false speeches. It's not the truth. He said, when we have not thought and spoken well of his name, we have thought and spoken amiss. Looking back over our lives and our failure to speak rightly of God, he says, we desire, if possible, to blot out every murmuring thought with our tears, and we would cancel every every complaining word with humble sorrow. Then he says, on taking a survey of our whole life, we see that the kindness of God has run all through it like a silver thread. That's what we truly need to see. The question is, do we see it that way? Do we really see God as being incredibly kind to us in every situation, in every relationship, in all that is going on in our life, all that has been going on in our life? Do we see God's hand, God's good hand, God's kind hand in our lives? But one thing that came to mind this morning is the question, why do we find it so hard to believe that God is truly that kind? It's because we're not that kind. The reason why I say that, at least one reason, there's a verse in Psalm 18, verse 25 and 26 says, With the kind you show yourself kind, with the blameless you show yourself blameless, with the pure you show yourself pure, And with the crooked you show yourself astute. 
you might read that and think, well, that means God is kind to those who are kind, and he's, he's mean to those who are mean. It's not what it means at all. What it means is, if I'm kind, it's because I've seen something of the kindness of God. It means if I'm twisted and evil, it's because I think God is twisted and evil. It's my vision of God that is the problem. That if I see God as truly and amazingly kind, it has a profound effect on my own heart, my own life, and my kindness toward others. See, I I began by saying that we, we tend to think that there are a lot of people that are patient and kind that aren't even believers. But we have to realize that the kindness and the patience that God is calling us to is such that does not seek to receive anything from the people they're being patient with and kind to. Naturally, we're kind and patient with people that we are trying to get something from, that are necessary to what we think is our happiness or our security or our provision. We know it's in our own best interest. Our temporal good depends on them. And so we're patient and kind with them because we don't want to cut off the person that's supplying what we need. That's not what God is talking about here. That is not the kindness and the patience that God is calling for. Or we treat people just the way we're treated. Even Jesus says, you know, it's no great thing to treat someone kind if, or to love someone who loves you. Even unbelievers do that. So the kindness and patience that's showed naturally is something that is because we want something in this temporal life from them or we're just treating them the way they're treating us until they stop treating us the way we want them to treat us and then everything goes awry. God is calling us to be patient and kind with people that aren't patient and kind with us. He's calling us to be patient and kind with people that do not benefit us at all, that do not give us what we want, that do not honor us as we require. It's the love of benevolence, not the love of complacency that he calls us to. And that's why it's so important that I really believe that God is kind. And I understand that that kindness is towards sinners who do not benefit him, who do not honor him, who do not respond to him as they should. And that's what God calls us to. He calls us to repent of not loving that way to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that we need for not loving that way, and to ask him to enable us by his spirit to love that way, because that's when we'll truly experience the joy of God and the peace of God as we love patiently and kindly. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding of what it truly means to love like you love, to be patient in the way you call us to be patient, to be kind in the way you call us to be kind. And please help us to see that you are incredibly, amazingly patient and kind with us individually, not just everybody else, but with us as well as everybody else. And Father, may we repent of our lack of patience, our lack of kindness. May we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and to trust that what he did was die on the cross for our lack of patience and our lack of kindness. May we rest in Jesus. May we put our hope in you for all we need and desire 
And may we ask you for the grace we need to be more patient and more kind with the people around us who aren't everything we want them to be or everything you call them to be. And may we be filled with all joy and peace in believing and in loving more and more like you love. We praise you that you are a great and wonderful God whose loving kindness is everlasting. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.